0: This morning I'm going to finish up the series that we started earlier in the summer on the seven letters of Jesus, the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. And um, this particular letter is probably the hardest one to talk about. I'm going to try to be really careful with the church of Laodicea. Jesus had some very strong words for the church of Laodicea. And, um, And I felt this morning in our praise and worship that Jesus is trying to tell us that there are those here this morning that are truly on fire for Jesus. And we have some really fired up people that are hot for the Lord. But he also feels that this message needs to be spoken because our society in general isn't quite that way. And uh, we're going to learn today from Jesus what he had to say to the Church of Laodicea and what I believe he has to say to us today. Now. I haven't stressed at all the teaching that goes along with the seven, seven letters in that there are some, and I believe probably there's a lot of truth in it, but there are all the, the church ages all the way back from A.D. 30 all the way to today can be characterized by the period of time of some of these churches. And so as you went back through each, each individual church, it would build up through the time of what that particular season or, or age of church was going through. And the reason I didn't spend a lot of time on that is because it's somewhat of a controversial topic, and unless we have the time to really present it exhaustively, it's not worth getting into. It just creates too, many confusion, too much confusion. So I didn't dwell on that purposely. However, I do feel, though, that as we talk about the Church of Laodicea, that it makes some sense to draw the parallels of what Jesus was saying to that church then to what he's saying to the church age of today. For our society today that is so... Um, fallen away from the hotness and the fire of Jesus and I feel that we'll find that we will uncover here an urgent appeal of Jesus that he would say guys it's not too late wake up church wake up church and get your spiritual life together because I'm coming soon and he has this call to us corporately and personally As always, Jesus gives the facts as he sees them, which are absolutely truth. Jesus does not see gray. Jesus sees truth. He sees it black and white, and he loves us so much that he tells us what he sees. And that's what we have to look at. So as we study this last church, I pray that our hearts and eyes would be open to hear what the Lord is saying to us, and that we would be in step with the Spirit, and that we would move with the Spirit as we are instructed to. Let's read it. Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are asking that you give us proper wisdom and discernment of this passage. What does this mean to us? How can we apply it? Lord, I do not want condemnation. I do not want guilt. I do not want anything that the enemy would place on us as we study your word. I want to hear truth, and I want to hear your very sharp conviction. And I want to hear your affirmation. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just do your work in our hearts and lives. Help me to speak the truth in Jesus' name. Amen. The address to the church, as always, is to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, uh, by now, we're expecting that. We've had that seven times. It's always to the angel of the church. And what is important about that is that this message is not to the sinner, but it is to the believer in the church. Okay? This message, as all the messages are, are to the church leadership. They're believers who are then to pass it on to the other church believers. So this is to us this morning. Um, So let's just hear what the Lord has to say. What was the city of Laodicea like? Laodicea was an important wealthy city with a significant Jewish population. Like other cities in the region, it was a center for Caesar worship and the worship of the healing god Ascalopius. There was a famous temple there in Laodicea with a famous medical school connected with that temple. We will find that this city was very self-reliant. After an earthquake devastated the region in 60 AD, Laodicea refused help from Rome or from the imperial powers in rebuilding the city. They were relying on their own resources to rebuild themselves. They didn't need outside help. They didn't ask for it, and they didn't want it. Laodicea was too rich to accept help from anyone. They were prideful. Laodicea was also a noted commercial center and some of its goods were exported all over the world. It's frequently noted that Laodicea prided itself on three things. Financial wealth, an extensive textile industry, and a popular salve, which was exported around the world. So they were very industrious in their own self. And then the thing that probably hurt them the most as a city or saved them, depending on which way you look at it. But they were very compromising. One of the problems that they had was a poor water supply that made Laodicea vulnerable to attack through siege. If an enemy or army surrounded the city, they had insufficient water supplies in the city. The supplies of water were coming in from outside, from a six-mile-long aqueduct, And all the outside army had to do was cut off the water. And Laodicea could be overrun. So therefore, the leaders of the city were always accommodating to any potential enemy. They always wanted to negotiate and compromise with them rather than fight. We're going to see why that's significant in a few minutes. Their main water supply, because it came from such a long ways away, it might have started off nice, cold, clean, clear water to drink. But by the time it transferred six miles, which is a long ways, in an outside aqueduct, by the time it got to the city, the water was lukewarm, and it wasn't really refreshing to drink. We're going to see in a few minutes why that's so significant as well. What's the description of Christ Jesus describes himself in verse, verse 14. He says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is the Amen. It means he is the final answer. So be it. It is done. Nothing happens beyond what Jesus allows to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, And so through him, the amen or the so be it is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus is the final answer. Nothing comes after Jesus that can change what Jesus has established. He is the first and the last word on every subject and he always speaks the truth. He's also described as the faithful and true witness. He cannot speak anything but truth. Do you recognize that? Whereas the devil can speak nothing but lies. Enough truth to make it sound good, but in the end it's a lie. Whereas Jesus can only speak truth. He can speak no deceptive word. He's always faithful to what he says. Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. Not only was Jesus with God in the beginning, but he is the ultimate ruler of creation. Now we all know that the world was given was created and given to mankind at the Garden of Eden. And the intent was that man was going to be the ruler of this world. But because of the original sin that came at that time, man willingly gave control of the world to Satan. When man sinned, he gave up what God created for man and gave it to Satan. So now, therefore, Satan is the prince of the air. Satan is the ruler of this kingdom right now that we live in. And and as a result we are dealing with the consequences of Satan's rule in this world because of that original sin. So let's understand what happened in that transaction. However, what this passage is saying, though, is that Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. What Satan rules right now is a temporary reign. Jesus won the victory back at the cross, but yet we're still living it out in the battle And when Jesus returns again the second time to put his foot on the Mount of Olives, at that point in time, Jesus will reclaim everything. So here's the choice that we have. We know that our battle is against the enemy today, who is a ruler today, and who is powerful today. There's no question about his power. But we have a choice as to which side we really line ourselves up with. Are we going to line up ourselves with Jesus, who is the ultimate ruler of eternity, Or are we going to line ourselves up with the devil who is a temporary ruler of this world? Do you see the choice? you see the significance of that? That God, that Jesus is the ultimate eternal ruler, however Satan has his moment right now. And we are in the battle of it right now. It's our choice. It's our choice. What's the condition of the church? We're going to see a very important principle here as we look at the condition of the church and how it relates to the condition of the city. See, since we're living in a world now controlled by Satan, the church is meant to stand out and be different. We are to be the light in a dark world. The church should be a role model of God's holiness and God's goodness, and it should be the change agent that should change a dark world. We, as the church of God, we should be going into the world and influencing the, the world to be more like Jesus. But what was really happening with Laodicea? As we look at the Laodicean church, we're going to see just the opposite happening. We're going to see the church taking on the nature and the characteristic of the city. We're going to see the church being the compromising church, or the lukewarm church, or the church that wouldn't stand up for right. We're going to see the church being more influenced by the world than the church influencing the world. And as a result, Jesus was not pleased. He was not pleased. Let's let's read what he said in verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The condition of the church was not real good, according to Jesus. In fact, What's interesting to note, of all the seven churches that we've discussed so far, this church is the only church that Jesus has nothing good to say to them about. He has no commendation, no accolades at all in this church. A compromising, lukewarm person or a church like this is never, ever pleasing to God. It's like when I'm golfing and I'm on the green and I make a putt. A short putt never, ever goes in the hole. I don't care how good a putt it was. I don't care if it was right on line. But if it's short, it's never going to go in the hole. Make sense? Likewise, a lukewarm person, a lukewarm church is never, ever, going to hear the goal, or going to experience Jesus saying, Well done, thou good and faithful. If you want to hear Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful, what do you have to do? Tell me. What do you have to do? Be good and faithful. If you want Jesus to say, Well done, thou good and faithful, then you have to be good and faithful. You're not going to hear Him say it if you're not good and if you're not faithful. Okay, that's like hitting a short putt. It's never going to go in the hole. So let's make sure we hit the putt long enough at least to make it to the hole. Then we have a chance. Do your best living out for Jesus. See, at at one time, this church must have been a good church. It must have been okay. We see Paul in Colossians saying that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, that Paul was struggling or contending for the church in Laodicea. He says in verse 1, I want you to know how hard... I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So, there must have been a time when the church of Laodicea was a good church. If Paul was working for them, if Paul was contending for them, there must have been a good time when they must have been on fire for Jesus. Consistent with the nature of God, Jesus sees the inner workings of the heart. He is not stopped at the outward sign of what he sees on the outside. Jesus is looking at the church. He's looking at the heart. He sees the truth for what it is, and he's in love with us enough to make sure that he tells us the truth. That's what's so amazing about Jesus, is that if he sees it the way it is, he's going to tell you the way it is. Amen? That's good. I want a God that's going to tell me the way it is. And I want a friend that's going to tell me the way it is. I don't want somebody that's going to tell me something that I want to hear if it's going to hurt me at the end. I'd rather have a friend, even if it hurts a little bit right now, I'd rather have a friend tell me, Mike, your clothes don't match. My wife tells me that all the time. There's no problem with that. Because she doesn't want me to look silly, right? I would rather have somebody tell me that I got something in my tooth. What I do, rather than, make me go, rather than let me go around and embarrass myself with all these people. So I thank the Lord for truth. I like it. They don't always, I don't always enjoy it, but I like it. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Now it's an interesting analogy that Jesus uses temperature of, of water or conditional temperature to compare it to spiritual vigor. We mentioned earlier that because of the water supply that fed the city of Laodicea, the drinking water was lukewarm. Now I don't know about you, but lukewarm water, milk, pop, lukewarm coffee, lukewarm iced tea, lukewarm soup, you name it. Anything lukewarm to me, I don't like. When I want a hot cup of coffee, I want a cup of hot chocolate, I want a cup of hot chocolate. When I want a cup of cold, refreshing water, I want a cup of cold, refreshing water. I don't like it lukewarm. See, in the spiritual sense, The Laodicean church should be able to recognize what Jesus was talking to because they knew what lukewarm was. They had to deal with lukewarm water all their life. And in a spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. It tries to play the middle. It's too hot to be cold, but yet too cold to be hot. But in trying to be both things, it ends up being nothing but sickening. Nothing that's refreshing either direction. There's a couple of different ways to look at this, at this cold condition of which Jesus wishes that we were in if we're not hot. In other words, what is cold? Cold can be very refreshing. Cold is a refreshing temperature. When you want something to drink, You want a cold drink of water. That seems to satisfy more than anything. Isn't it amazing when you're really, really thirsty how a cold glass of water, though it tastes like nothing, can taste so good? I mean, the more water doesn't taste like anything, the better it is. It's when I can taste the water I don't like it. A cold glass of refreshing, pure water refreshes my soul, refreshes my body. Okay, it can be really good. And I think this is important because God, God creates diversity in life that is pleasing. That's pleasing. Sometimes we want a cup of hot coffee or hot cocoa, and sometimes we want a cold glass of chocolate milk. It's the variety of life that sometimes brings the refreshingness. And this also verifies that we as people have different gifts. That we're pleasing to God when they are in the state that they're designed to be. See, you and I are different. You have different gifts. I have different gifts. Maybe, and not maybe, we are not all created to be the same. And that's pleasing to the Lord. He created us that way. And when we operate in our differences, in the fullness of our differences... When you operate as a cold cup of water And when you operate as a hot cup of coffee All of a sudden we're refreshing to the world we're, we're, we're operating in the way that God created us to be But God did not create you to be a lukewarm glass of milk Because it's just a matter of time And that lukewarm glass of milk starts to curdle It starts to go sour And it's good for nothing Besides pig slop So cold can be good If if you're operating in the way that God has created you to be in your diversity, then be cold. Not cold for Jesus, but be cold in your personality, in your diversity, whatever that is. So that's one interesting way. The other way to look at cold is that it is so far from comfortable that it's painful. So far from being comfortable in lukewarmness that it's painful. In this analogy, God would certainly have us hot for Jesus like we were singing about today. That fire of Jesus. Meaning that we're completely sold out serving Him with our whole mind, body, strength. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's everything. Nothing's left out here. We are that's the way God wants us to come before Jesus loving him with everything with reckless abandon that we are just so on fire for Jesus that everything's everything's on board for him. If we're not on fire for Jesus, then God, I believe, would rather have that person cold, cold to the touch, even to the point of being in pain and in misery. See, at least at that point, that person that is so cold, they're painful, They're looking for a change. They're uncomfortable. They're not happy there. They're looking for some relief. They're looking for anything than what they're experiencing because it's so painfully cold. See, lukewarm, comfortable Christians, lukewarm, comfortable Christians are hard to reach. They become so complacently comfortable that they are actually unteachable and unreachable. Think about it. Think about comfortable Christianity. It can become so hard to get to a person that is comfortable, not on fire, not cold, lukewarm, comfortable. They're unteachable. They don't want to be taught. And they're unreachable. Dr. Donald Barnhouse says this about this comment. He says, so the Lord is saying, if instead of being lukewarm, you were so cold that you should feel that coldness. Then the very feeling of your need might drive you to the true warmth. But now in your lukewarmness, you have just enough to protect yourselves against the feeling of a need. Not a good place to be. It's the lukewarm Christian that feels neither the warmth of God's presence nor the coldness of not feeling God's presence that Jesus is wanting. This is the kind of person, this lukewarm Christian is the kind of person that makes the Lord sick. If he's about to spew you out of his mouth, that's not a good condition to be in. The Lord does not want that. Charles Spurgeon says this about lukewarm Christians' behavior. Lukewarm prayers mock God. Oh, my brethren, he says, and sisters, have you really thought that what an insult it is to God when we come before him with a lukewarm prayer? There stands the heavenly mercy seat, The road to it is sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus. Yet we come to it with hearts that are cold, or we approach it leaving our hearts behind us. We kneel in the attitude of prayer, yet we do not pray. We prattle out certain words. We express thoughts which are not our real desires. We feign wants that we do not feel. Do not thus degrade the mercy seat. We make it, as it were, a common lounging place, Rather than an awful wrestling place, once besprinkled str- be with blood and often to be besprinkled with the sweat of our fervent supplication. Charles Spurgeon also goes on to say, Lukewarm lives turn people away from Jesus. Now, he says, lukewarm professor, what, worldlings, what do worldlings see in you? They see a man who says he is going to heaven, but who is only traveling at a snail's pace. He professes to believe that there is a hell, yet he has tearless eyes and never seeks to snatch souls from going down into the pit. They see before them one who has to deal with eternal realities, yet he is but half awake. One who professes to have passed through a transformation so mysterious and wonderful that there must be, if it is true, a vast change in the outward life as a result of it. Yet they see him as much like themselves as can be. He may be morally consistent in his general behavior, but they see no energy in his religious character. See, there's two conditions that describe a lukewarm Christian. Number one, they're neutral. A lukewarm lukewarm Christian is neutral spiritually. They refuse to take a stand on any issue of moral, moral character or nature. They don't get upset about much of anything. They are neutral on matters of doctrine and anything that's moral. Live and let live is pretty much their attitude. Number two, they're nauseating. Jesus said in Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Greek word here used for spit is ematic. In other words, it's something that is taken to cause someone to vomit. Jesus is saying, lukewarm Christian, lukewarm Christians, lukewarm church, you make me sick to my stomach that's what Jesus is saying now let me just clarify here this morning I felt such a presence of the Lord here I felt the fire of God's presence so I don't want you to think that I am suggesting that this church is that way but I do want to speak the truth of God's word as he prints it, okay so this is what he was saying to the Laodicean church now, even so I say that I know there are times as, as um, Vicki um, encouraged us this morning maybe we do get a little complacent in our times Maybe there has been a summer drought maybe in our spirit. Maybe there do come times where we do get a little bit uh, lukewarm and we need a fire to burn in our spirit again. And it's okay to be reminded of that, right? But I don't want you to think that I'm I'm, um, chastising this church. I don't want you to think that I'm negative. I'm positive. I'm very encouraged about what's going on here. But yet I'm going to speak God's word the way it is. Okay? Then you take it and apply it in your life as you need to and as I need to. Amen? How does a lukewarm Christian or church react to a truly on fire for Jesus Christian? How does one react? Bible teacher Vance Havner says this In the 20th century, most of us have become so subnormal in our Christian life that when someone comes along and begins to act normal, <laughs> we label them as abnormal. In other words, most most of Christianity has backslidden to the point that when someone comes along and starts acting like a normal New Testament Christian, they are called fanatics or weird or crazy. For many Christians, lukewarmness has become so normal that when a boiling hot Christian comes along, a lot of the church gets nervous and intimidating. Now this morning, as there was some fire happening up here, can I just ask, were you intimidated at all? Was anyone here thinking that, wow, what's going on up there? I don't know. If you were, maybe that's a condition of your heart. Maybe if, if, you, if you don't see yourself up here doing this because you can't because that's too weird, that's too abnormal, then look deep. Look deep. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if the Spirit moves you to do this, then free up. And let the freedom of Jesus reign so that you can enjoy the freedom of Christ. Amen. What's the cause of spiritual lukewarmness? In one word, compromise. Compromise. The reason hot water becomes lukewarm is because just enough cold water is added that reduces the hotness. The reason cold water becomes lukewarm is it's become just, just enough hot water is added that takes away the coolness. There's a compromise here of the source. If I want hot water, I'm going to keep putting the hot water spigot on. I'm not going to compromise my hot water with a little cool water because that brings lukewarmness. The reason a sold-out, born-again, on-fire-for-Jesus Christian becomes a wimpy-anything-goes-afraid-of-standing-up-for-Jesus Christian It's because they have an addition of compromise in their life with the world that says, I'm a little bit afraid to stand out. I don't want to take a stand for Jesus. I don't want to appear to be weird. I don't want to appear to be judgmental. I don't want to appear to be anything like that would be hot on fire for Jesus. So we bring that, we introduce that little compromise of the world into us and all of a sudden our spiritual fervor for Jesus starts to cool off and we become lukewarm, not pleasing to the Lord not pleasing to him at all. This is the picture of a person who goes to church on Sunday, sings praise and worship songs, uses a Christian vocabulary, but on Monday through Saturday they use any other kind of word or vocabulary with their friends. One foot in the church and one foot in the world. One foot in on Sunday you're in the church and Monday through Saturday you're in the world. Compromising, lukewarm, a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Uncomfortable, not happy in the world, not happy in church. There's no victory there. You know why I know that? Because I've been that. I've lived that. I know what that's like. I know what it is to be wanting to do the things in the world when I'm with my friends, only to know that when I came in the presence of Jesus on Sunday morning, I'm going to be uncomfortable. But I'm not so on fire for Jesus that I'm really enjoying church either. So I'm really in that spot of awkwardness I don't know what to do when. Very uncomfortable. I've learned and I'm learning to stay on fire for Jesus. So all I want is Jesus. I don't care what people think of me in the world anymore. I don't care what my friends think. I don't care what my family thinks. I don't care. I just want to be on fire for Jesus. I want him to say, Mike, well done, thou good and faithful. And the only way I'm going to hear that is if I am that. Amen. And that's what I want for this church. I want this church to be so authentically on fire for Jesus that we don't care what the world thinks of us, that we are not going to compromise ourselves, we are not going to give in to what this world does or thinks of us because we want to be that church that Jesus is not going to spew out of his mouth. There's going to be a number of churches that are going to be spewed out of the mouth of Jesus. I'm not naming them. I'm just saying there are. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible days, terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, I'm not making this up, rather than lovers of God. I'm just reading word for word what God's word says. I didn't add one word to that. And then verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Wow. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then he says, have nothing to do with that. Scary words, isn't it? Come on, it makes us think a little bit, doesn't it? It doesn't negate what we had this morning. It doesn't negate the praise and worship that was here, but it just makes me think about it. It just makes me think, Jesus, would you really judge me? Would I really judge my own heart? I can be on fire on Sunday morning, but what am I on Monday morning? What am I on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday with my friends at school or or on the job? Am I this way? Jesus, are you still burning hot in my life on the week? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. See, this is not written to sinners in the world who don't care about God. This is written to people that go to church every Sunday and claim to have the power. Wake up. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that this is not the kind of person or this is not the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for, is it? Yeah. See, the name Laodicea means rule of the people. This church well represents a church run by majority rule instead of God. Its name designates it as the church of mob rule, (laughs) the democratic church in which everything is swayed and decided by popular opinion, clamor, and voting. Yeah. You know, we named our church Center Point Assembly a couple years ago, and I really felt that that was the Lord asking us to rename our church. And if we're going to live true to that name, then we cannot be the Laodicean church. We cannot be the church of popular vote. If we're going to be center point assembly, what that means is that Jesus is at the center point of my life. And in all honesty, if I if Jesus is not at the center point of my life, then truly I'm not a Christian. If Jesus takes second place, if he if my heart is right here, and if I have Mike's desires mike's thoughts mike's ideologies in the center and i have jesus over here still maybe part of my heart but not in the center i'm not a christian I, i'm not i'm fooled myself I'm, I'm a self-deceived person i have to move christ in the center move my own desires to the side, and put christ in the center this is not a democratic rule in my heart either i don't get a vote i don't get a vote it's jesus And I'm living my life hot for Jesus. And when he speaks, I'm listening. And when he says, do, I do. And when he says, don't, I don't. I don't get a vote in this. I am not my own anymore. What is the rebuke that Jesus has for this church related to their lukewarm condition? Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But yet you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, Jesus is pointing out the difference here in what I see about myself when I'm spiritually deceived and what he sees about me when he sees the truth. I say I'm rich, that I've acquired wealth, and I don't need anything. Jesus says, but you don't see yourself correctly, Mike. I see you're wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. See, the Laodiceans put their trust in material prosperity and their outward luxury and in physical health, they put their, 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 their trust in that and, and said, I don't need anything because I'm comfortable. I don't need anything because I have wealth. I have everything. I don't need anything, God. According to the Newell Bible commentary, it says this, the loss of a sense of need as the drowsiness that besets a freezing man is fatal. The loss of a sense of need. The first way to, give, to, to fix a problem is to recognize you have a problem. If you don't recognize you have a problem, you can't fix the problem. That's the problem with deception. A condition of hypothermia is drowsiness before they die. A person that is suffering from hypothermia, they will typically fall asleep. They'll get very tired and fall asleep and then they'll die in their sleep. H- Vance Havner says again, the cause, of, the cause of Christ has been hurt more by Sunday morning bench warmers who pretend to love Christ, who call Him Lord, but do not do His commands than by all the publicans and the sinners. <laughs> See, it's the one that claims to be a Christian that doesn't live to be a Christian. That's the one that hurt the cause of Christ. The man that doesn't claim to be a Christian is living like a sinner. That doesn't hurt the cause of Christ, not at all. It's those that walk and talk, the church talk while in church, but don't live it out on Monday through Saturday. Those are the ones that are hurting the church. Can you not see now why Jesus hates lukewarmness? Can you not see now why Jesus, wait, I want to spew that person out of his mouth because he's so offended by that? Help us, Jesus. What's the command from Jesus? What, see, Jesus tells them some things here that give them hope. That's so amazing about Jesus. Revelations 3, 18, 20 through 21. He, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve, salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, it's so awesome that Jesus never gives up. He never gives up on people. Even though he's not too happy about what he sees in the church, Jesus says, hey, there's still time to recover, folks. Come on, there's still time. We can get on with this thing if you'll just come on with me. He says, I counsel you to buy gold from me, refine it in the fire, become rich. See, the change in the Laodiceans had to begin with their understanding of their spiritual poverty. Until they understood they were spiritually poor, they would never be spiritually prosperous. That goes back to we've got to understand the problem. We've got to acknowledge it's a problem. Jesus is willing to give them everything they need to be spiritually wealthy if they would purposely seek and apply what Jesus offers. I'll give you gold. Jesus says, I will give you gold. You can buy gold from me, true spiritual wealth that is marketable eternally marketable eternally. I want something that's going to last forever. My physical wealth here will burn. I want gold that lasts forever. Jesus says, I'm willing to give you eternal wealth if you would seek it. He says, I will give you clothes to cover your shameful nakedness and unrighteous deeds and actions. See, the Laodiceans were proud because they were merchandisers of expensive of, of clothing. And they had a, a, a black a glossy black wool that they were very proud of and how well it sold in a marketplace. But Jesus says, you know what? I'll give you a white garment. I'll replace that blackness that you sell and I'll give you whiteness of my righteousness. And then he says, eye salve. It's no coincidence here that Jesus uses eye salve to the church in Laodicea when that's what they were known for. But their eye salve was to give temporal healing, temporal sight of a physical eye. Jesus says, I will give you eye salve that will give you eternal Righteousness, eternal sight, eternal perspective on things. I'll open your eyes to spiritual things with the eyes that I give you, Jesus says. Amen. I love that. Verse 19, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Jesus reminds us that the reason he loves us so much is because he wants us all to be with him forever. And that he will tell us the truth. Just as we love our children, we chastise and discipline our children for their good. Not for my good, but for their good. It's no fun chastising or disciplining your child, is it? No, it's not. It's painful. It's not fun. It's not fun for Jesus to discipline his children, but he loves us so much that he will. And here's the thing that's really interesting. According to Barclay's commentary, with such such a sharp rebuke, has Jesus lost his love for this errant church? Has Jesus stopped loving the Laodicean church? Not at all. Jesus' great love is expressed in his rebuke. It is, in fact, God's final punishment to leave a man alone. (laughs) When God stops calling you, that's the final punishment. Spending eternity in hell, separated from God's presence, is eternal punishment. Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews a similar encouragement. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 through 6. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Wow. That's so good. Then I got to read also what Second in Second Timothy what Paul talks to Timothy, and he tells Timothy and every pastor and teacher that follows that they have a responsibility to do what Paul's telling Timothy. Listen to this. This is really good. Second Timothy chapter one verses four, chapter four verses one through five. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears wants to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, you, Mike, You, every pastor that's listening, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So don't get upset with pastors that are only doing what they're charged to do. Don't get mad at a pastor. He's only doing what he's been told to do. He's only using the God's word to do exactly what God wants to do with it. Jesus continues with his command in verse 20 with a great invitation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, wants to, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, Jesus declares his proximity to us. Yes, he's in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here. Yes, the Holy Spirit is wooing every man. He's close to him, he's right here, he's right now, he's right at the door, and he's knocking at your heart. Why does Jesus stand outside the door? Why does he knock? Why does he wait until someone opens the door? (laughs) Because the handle's on the inside, exactly right. Doesn't he have every right to break down the door or enter some other way on his own accord? But he doesn't. The sovereign omnipotent Jesus has condescended to work out his eternal plan by wooing the cooperation of the human heart. Jesus is a patient, gentle savior. The doorknob to your heart is on the inside, and you must open it up and let him in. He will not barge it, he will not barge in, he will not come where he's not wanted. Jesus is giving this invitation to anyone, but he's no respecter of persons. And if the church is going to be set right, it begins in the hearts of individual people. Charles Spurgeon says this about individuals. Notice that Jesus gives the call to individuals. He didn't say if any church, but if any one. We must not talk about setting the church right. We must pray for grace that each one for himself, for the text does not say, if the church will open a door, But if any man hear my voice and open the door, it must be done by individuals. The church will only get right by each man getting right. Oh, man, we are the church. So good. Consequence for disobedience. Jesus is very clear about the consequence. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm spirituality, lukewarm people, complacent people, are not tolerated now or eternally in the kingdom of God. Make no no mistake about it. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Promised overcomers. Amen? He gives us a promise, folks. He's not all gloom and doom, is he? He gives us a promise. Verse, Verse 21 through 22. To the one who is victorious, and there will be those that are victorious. There are those that are victorious in this church. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever is ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches isn't it just isn't it awesome that Jesus gives the best reward for those that are the worst? I mean I, I, there was nothing Jesus commended this church for, but yet he's willing to give them the best reward, and the best reward is sitting on the throne of God. There can be no better reward than to sit with Jesus on his throne, and here he is he's giving this church who has been lukewarm, who's been complacent, that he was about to spit out of, their, out of his mouth. He's saying to those that are victorious, for those that wash their garments and buy gold and 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 do the things that are right and put on spiritual eye salve, for those people and are victorious. I am willing to give you the best seat in the house. I am willing to let you sit where I sit. <laughs> and the significance of sitting down is that it means it's finished, it's over. When Jesus went, as he finished his work here on earth and he went to heaven? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those, making for intercession for the saints. He's sitting there because his work is done. And he says, Folks that are victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me, and it'll be done and over because you were victorious. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't think of a better promise. I can't think of it. Jackie, would you come, please, and help me close this up? See, I, I just think that with the stern warnings that Jesus gives us, Uh, Again, you have to recognize that um, this this applies to everybody. It applies to me. It applies to everybody. There's no man that is outside this warning. There is no man that is above the the stern way Jesus talks to us. And he does that because he loves us so much. And I think it's just great that, that we wrap up this series on the seven letters, that we just take some time to do some spiritual inventory of our heart. You know, you may be broken a little bit. You may have a heartache. You may have some problems. You may have some sin in your life. But you know what? That's okay. Jesus is here to help you. Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed, he will not break. and the smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. If you have breath, if you have a desire, if you have anything in you that says, I need something right in my life, Jesus is saying, man, I'm all for you. I I am all for you. So this morning, I just think as we think back over the past number of weeks as we went through all the seven churches and we finished up with this one now, man, I tell you, I know my heart's been convicted. I know I've been changed through this summer. This has been an awesome summer for me from from the Bible because this has been hard teaching. It's been hard studying. I'm so thankful. But I'm so thankful he allowed us to go through it because it's for our glory, for our benefit that we do that, that we just will not let ourselves be so sidetracked by our own deception that we will see what Jesus sees in us. So this morning, I I just want to give you an opportunity, if you just close your eyes and just take some time right now, and I know it's 10 after 12, and we're going to close up here real shortly. I, I apologize for the little bit lateness. but I just want to give everyone an opportunity to more than just make it an emotional appeal this morning. I really, 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 really want us to consider the consequences of our life as we move throughout the week. Are we really following Jesus as hot as we should be? Are, Are we lukewarm during the week? Are we really listening for the voice of God? I'm so encouraged by this series we're going to do on Wednesday nights on how to share Jesus without fear. And I just pray that this is a life-changing thing for this church. I am so... I really believe that if we do this and if we take this seriously and if we take this study and this workshop that the next thing we're gonna be doing is that we're gonna be, be creating new discipleship courses because new Christians are coming into this church. Because when we start sharing Jesus with a passion, when we start sharing Jesus like we really have him, people are gonna get changed. People are gonna to come to know the Lord. Maybe your family members, maybe your friends. But it, but it starts right now. It starts with me and it starts with you because I can't give away what I don't have. And neither can you. So, Lord Jesus, I just come before you. And I ask you to judge our hearts. And, Lord, I just want um, those this morning that are doing that, that are really serious, Lord, about making some changes, that are really serious about taking everything we've learned over the past number of weeks and applying that. I just would like us all to make an outward expression to the Lord that you're willing to do that and if you're not willing to do this don't raise your hand but if you are serious about chasing after God and if you're serious about being that hot on fire believer would you just raise your hand to the Lord and let him know that this does not mean there's sin in your life it just means that you are determined to live for Jesus that you have such a passion in life and you want more of that passion And you want more of it. So you're saying, Jesus, I'm raising my hand because I want more of you. I want more of you. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to allow myself to be lukewarm. I'm not going to allow myself to be complacent. Father, you see the hands of all those that are raised right now. And Lord, I pray that you would just help them. And I pray, God, for those that can't raise their hand. I pray, Lord, that you would just give them a desire in their heart. Lord, I know you're you're not giving up on anybody. Lord, and I pray your purpose. I pray your passion. I pray your, your resolve. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying for us. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name.